big thank you, worship team. It's so good to be here today. It was kind of gray outside when I came this morning, but it is beautiful and sunshiny in here with all of your beautiful faces. I'm so glad that you are here today, and I'm, I'm glad that I am here today. I wouldn't want to be any place else but here studying his word. You know, we've been looking at the last words of Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, and I thought um, that I would start by reading a little bit more from that book report that I uh, brought two weeks ago, the little kid that did a book report on the Bible. I read from the New Testament, and I thought I'd read what he said about Moses. Another important Bible guy is Moses, whose real name was Charlton Heston. <laughs> I love that because a couple people have mentioned Charlton Heston to me since I've started this study. Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt and away from the evil Pharaoh after God sent ten plagues on Pharaoh's people. These plagues included frogs, mice, lice, bowels, and no cable. (laughs) The worst plague of all to a young kid. God fed the Israelites every day with manicotti. And then he gave them his top ten commandments. These include don't lie, cheat, smoke, dance, or covet your neighbor's stuff. Oh yeah, I just thought of one more. Humor thy father and thy mother. (laughs) That might be close to honor. You know, we're kind of like uh, this child. Sometimes we think we know the Bible, we think we have it down, and then all of a sudden we'll look at something and realize we've forgotten part of it or we just didn't quite get it. And that's what Moses is thinking while he's standing on the banks of the Jordan River looking out at these uh, Israelites that are going to go into the Promised Land. And so he's wanting to tell them, it says, all that God had commanded them. He was wanting to remind them one last time of the words of God hoping that they would remember it and be able to follow it as they went into the promised land. And he does this in a way that resembles a political treaty. We talked about that for several weeks now. Amy mentioned it last week, that Deuteronomy is written like a Near East treaty of that day, a political agreement that... uh, Two people would draw up. One group of people defeat or subdue another group of people. They would draw up this treaty. And Deuteronomy is really a retelling of God's treaty, God's covenant to his people, so that this generation would be able to make their own fresh, wholehearted commitment to God. The first week, and I actually have the outline of this, uh, how this treaty would look on your verse sheet and the chapters that correspond in the book of Deuteronomy. Those first three chapters make up the historical prologue, and that's what we started out with, and Moses reminded them of their past. He told them about God taking them out of Egypt and delivering them from the hand of Pharaoh. And he told them who God is and what he had promised their forefathers. And then these last couple of weeks, we've uh, looked at the basic stipulations, those basic requirements of the covenant. We looked first at the Ten Commandments, which reveal God's character. And we looked at that one greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Love God, who first loved us and wants to bless us. Last week, Amy told us in great detail, God's purpose is to bless us. And so God's covenant is unlike these other political treaties of that day because he gives us his commandments and requires obedience 
not because we are subject to him, but because he loves us and he wants to bless us. Obedience to his word results in blessing and it results in a relationship with God. Obedience brings us into fellowship with God and that's what God wants, a relationship with us. Today with these chapters, 9, 10, and 11, we're going to finish up this section of the basic stipulations, basic requirements. And the next week, Lynn Kitchens will come and we're going to begin looking at the detailed requirements. Let's turn to chapter 9 in Deuteronomy. And Moses tells us in this lesson today that facing the future with confidence takes humility. It takes humility. Now, you might think humility and confidence don't go together, but they do. Because a truly humble person knows in whom their confidence lies. It's not in themselves. It's in God. My definition of humility today is knowing who I am in light of who God is. So let's read chapter 9, and we're going to see who the Israelites are, and we might see a little bit of who we are in this chapter. Let's begin reading with verse 1. Hear, O Israel, you are now about to cross the Jordan to go in and dispossess nations greater and stronger than you, with large cities that have walls up to the sky. The people are strong and tall, Anakites. You know about them and have heard it said, Who can stand up against the Anakites? But be assured today that the Lord your God is the one who goes across ahead of you like a devouring fire. He will destroy them. He will subdue them before you. And you will drive them out and annihilate them quickly as the Lord has promised you. Now, I want to say here that the Anakites just, there's many different kinds of people. We've talked about them, the Jerbasites and the Canaanites. There's many people in the Promised Land, but the Anakites were the ones that were the giants. They're the ones that the Israelites are most scared of, and that's why Moses mentions them. And when he says God is going to go in before them and annihilate them, he's not doing it instead of them. Um, They have to go in and fight, and he's not doing it in spite of them. They have to go in, and they have to obey God. But God is going to work in them and through them to destroy the people in the promised land. And here's why. After the Lord your God has driven them out before you, do not say to yourself, the Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. No, it is on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. It is not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you are going in to take possession of their land. But on account of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your forefathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Understand then that it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess, for you are a stiff-necked people. Stiff-necked, that's an interesting term. Um, We've seen it a lot. It means rebellious or stubborn uh, in some translations. And in the message, I love this. In the message it says, you are stubborn as mules. And that is a great visual for me because when I was a little girl, I went to visit my great-grandfather in Arkansas. And I don't remember much about this trip. I have just a couple of memories. And one of them is this. My grandfather standing out, great-grandfather in a pasture with a rope around the head of this mule. And he is pulling as hard as he can. And this mule is just kicking his back legs out and moving his head. And he's not budging an inch. And that was kind of a scary thing for a little girl to see. And so when I think of stubborn as a mule, 
I have a good picture of not budging an inch, kicking our feet up in the back and not going. Moses is calling them to humility. God is going to destroy the Anakites and the Canaanites and all that live there. Those people that were in the promised land because they were evil. God is good. God is holy. And he judges evil. So this is God's plan to judge the Canaanites who cared nothing about God, who were involved in all kinds of evil, immoral behavior. And Moses tells the Israelites, God is driving them out because of their wickedness, not because of your righteousness. Hardly, you Israelites are a stubborn, rebellious people. And he goes on in verse 7 to remind them just how stubborn and rebellious they have been or how rebellious their forefathers have been. And we need to remember who we are as well. He's telling them, remember who you are. And as we remember who we are, we think of ourselves, sometimes we can be rebellious and stubborn. We must not forget that God acts kindly towards us, not because we are good, but because he is good. He acts kindly towards us because he is good. So let's look at verse 7. Remember this and never forget how you provoked the Lord your God to anger in the desert. From the day you left Egypt until you arrived here, you have been rebellious against the Lord. At Horeb, you aroused the Lord's wrath so that he was angry enough to destroy you. When I went up on the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant that the Lord had made with you, I stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I ate no bread and drank no water. The Lord gave me two stone tablets inscribed by the finger of God. On them were all the commandments the Lord proclaimed to you on the mountain out of the fire on the day of the assembly. Now you might remember we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Uh, God spoke to them the Ten Commandments. They heard his voice. And do you remember? It was so awesome. It was terrifying. And so they said to Moses, you go back up the mountain and get the rest of the commandments. And whatever God tells you to do, we'll obey him. But this is scary because who can hear the voice of God and live? You know, let, let's not press our luck here. You go up and talk to God. And so Moses did. And while he was up there 40 days fasting, they are down below and they begin to get impatient and think, hey, where is Moses? What's taking him so long? We need some gods. Let's, let's fashion a God for us to follow. So Aaron, who still believes in the Lord God, he decides to appease the people. He makes this golden calf. And he's going to set up an altar so they can worship the true God, but they're going to have this calf. And um, he's really, it's interesting to me. I mean, they have heard God's voice say, do not make any graven images. It will turn to idolatry. And yet here they are, not even 40 days later, making this golden calf. Aaron has a foot in both worlds. He really still believes in the one true living God, but he's trying to appease the people, and so he does what God told him not to do. You know, he's straddling the fence, and that is never a good place to be. So we see Moses up there on the mountain fasting, and God's giving him the Ten Commandments, and the people are down below feasting and carrying on with this golden calf. And so God tells Moses, you better go down um, and see about these people. So Moses goes down, and we see what God says in verse 13. And the Lord said to me, I have seen this people, and they are a stiff-necked people indeed. 
Let me alone so that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. And I will make you into a nation stronger and more numerous than they. As Moses goes down the mountain, he sees what's happening. And that's the picture that we have uh, on the screen today of him seeing that. And when he gets to the bottom, he throws down the Ten Commandments and he breaks them. Because they have disobeyed God. They have broken the covenant. And then it says that he goes back up the mountain. You know, why did they make this golden calf? It's because the people became impatient. They thought 40 days was a long time to wait on the Lord. Ladies, impatience comes from pride, not humility. When we're impatient, it's, it's saying, I don't want to be inconvenienced. I want it now. I don't want to wait. I deserve it now. I'm important. This is pride. A humble person is patient. So when you become impatient, let that be a warning signal, kind of like your smoke alarm, beep, 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 impatience, pride, impatience, pride, and think of that, that your impatience is really pride coming out. It's not a place of humility. So in verse 18, we see Moses go back up the mountain because he is afraid of God's anger and what he will do to these people. And he's also afraid of God's anger for his brother Aaron. And so when he thinks about the anger, all of a sudden um, he kind of throws in verse 22 and he says, and by the way, here are some other places that you made God really angry. And he mentions three more places, Taborah and Massah and Kabroth Hatava. Those are three different places in the wilderness, and three different things happened there. The first one, Tabara, they were grumbling about the hardship of the journey. Now, they'd only been out of Egypt about three days, like it wasn't hard in Egypt, and they're complaining about the hardship of this journey. And then Massah, we've talked about that. That's where they were complaining about their thirst. And this is where God tells Moses to speak to the rock, but instead Moses strikes it. God gives them water. And then there is Kabroth Hatava. This is where they griped about the manna, the manakati. God was giving them manna. He was feeding them every day. They didn't even have to work for it. And yet they thought, hey, we want meat as well. We need meat. Once again, this is pride. It's that feeling that I deserve better. I don't want to talk about this a whole lot, but it did make me think I need to check my words. Are my words complaining? Are they griping? Are they grumbling words? Because if they are, this is pride. This is not humility. In humility, we look to see God's hand of blessing in our life, and we're grateful. Then in verse 32, we read, And when the Lord sent you out from Kadesh Barnea, he said, Go up and take possession of the land I have given you. But you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You did not trust him or obey him. You have been rebellious against the Lord ever since I have known you. Kadesh Barnea, now that's the other biggie. The golden calf was big, but Kadesh Barnea, you might remember, is when he, they get to the edge of the promised land and God says go in and Moses sends in the ten spies and twelve spies and ten come back and say there's giants in the land. That's the Anakites that Moses was talking about here. And we remember that Moses told them they had forgotten God's power taking them out of Egypt and they had forgotten his voice when he gave them the Ten Commandments. 
And so they did not trust God, and they would not obey him. And God says, okay, have it your way. Wander around in the wilderness. And that began their journey of wandering that took uh, 38 more years. And in verse 25, we see a beautiful picture of humility. It's Moses interceding for these rebellious people that God has become angry with, that he wants to destroy. And let's read this beautiful prayer. I lay prostrate before the Lord those 40 days and 40 nights because the Lord had said he would destroy you. I prayed to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, do not destroy your people, your own inheritance that you redeemed by your great power and brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Overlook the stubbornness of this people, their wickedness and their sin. Otherwise, the country from which you brought us will say, because the Lord was not able to take them into the land he had promised them, and because he hated them, he brought them out to put them to death in the desert. But they are your people, your inheritance that you brought out by your great power and your outstretched arm. Now Moses knows that the Israelites have been really rebellious and deserve punishment. They really deserve death. And God has told Moses that I'll make a great nation from you. But Moses cares more about the glory of God than he cares about his own glory or his own gain. And that is humility. And that's why on your verse sheet, Numbers 12.3 says, Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Moses was humble, and he cared about God's glory. And he knows, and this is kind of the greatest part of his intercessory prayer, because he knows that if the Israelites are destroyed by God, that this would diminish God's glory. For they were his people, his inheritance. And we see that Moses is a persistent intercessor. It says he prayed for 40 days and 40 nights. You know, Ted Kitchens told us last Sunday that it's good to be persistent in prayer because that helps us to get our will aligned with God's will. When we are persistent, it helps us to see God's hand in the answer. So be persistent when you pray for someone and ask that God would be glorified. On your outline, I've put, we need to be intercessors for others and we need others to intercede for us. I feel very blessed because I uh, believe all my life people have been interceding and praying for me. When I was married, I realized from some things my mother told me just how much she had prayed for me as I was growing up. And I believe that her prayers kept me from getting involved in some things that would have been very dangerous for my life, that would have been, um, that would have been very harmful. And I know that some of you have been praying for me as I teach, and I thank you for that. And it makes a big difference, let me tell you, um, for me getting up here. I read a story about William Carey, the English preacher who went to India uh, to begin a publishing house. You probably know about William Carey. He translated the Bible into 42 different dialects and uh, languages for these people, and he was responsible for millions of people getting the Word of God What I didn't know was that William Carey had a sister back in England who was an invalid. She was paralyzed, almost paralyzed, and was able to do very little. But one thing she could do was to read her brother's letters carefully. 
And then she would faithfully pray for the difficulties that she saw there. I think when we get to heaven, we're going to be surprised at all those people that we never knew who were praying for us and praying for others, those intercessors. You know, if you're not praying consistently and frequently for someone, then think of someone today and begin praying for them. Maybe it's someone that you love dearly. Maybe it's someone that you know is in a difficult situation and needs prayer. Maybe you could begin to pray for our pastors or for the leadership of our church. But begin to pray consistently and fervently for someone. And ask people to pray for you. We are all in need of prayer. I know that the prayer team will be down here at the end of Bible study today. If you have something you need um, and want prayed for, they would love to do that. So just come down here. Ask people to pray for you. We need to be intercessors for others, and we need others to intercede for us. Then in chapter 10, Moses reminds the people of how God answered his prayer. In verse 1, God tells Moses, go and chisel out two more stones and bring them up to the mountain and build a wooden chest out of acacia wood and bring that up so that we can put the stone tablets in there. And this, ladies, becomes the Ark of the Covenant that Moses is going to build. And he does just that. He gets the tablets, he builds the wooden chest, and he goes back up the mountain for 40 more days and 40 more nights. And the answer to his prayer is in verse 10. Now I had stayed on the mountain 40 days and nights as I did the first time, and the Lord listened to me at this time also. It was not his will to destroy you. Go, the Lord said to me, and lead the people on their way so that they may enter and possess the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Chapter 10 is going to tell us the second part of our uh, definition of humility. The first part being uh, knowing who I am. The second part, in light of who God is. In chapter 10, we're going to see who God is. And right here in this verse, we see that God is merciful. The Israelites deserve death, but God was merciful. And God is faithful. He's going to continue to lead the people to the promised land. And we read in Psalm 103.10, He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Lamentations 3.22, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassion never fails. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God is merciful. And God is faithful. And then there's a little parenthesis, and I want to talk about it just for a second, those verses 6 through 9. And I think um, Moses sticks this in here because he's thinking about Aaron. God also spared Aaron, the one who made the golden calf. And that makes him think about the tribe of Levi. Aaron and Moses were from the tribe of Levi. And so he tells us that it will be the Levites who will carry the Ark of the Covenant from now on. And also, the Levites, the tribe of Levi, they would not get any um, portion of land. Instead, they would be scattered throughout Israel. And it says that their inheritance would be the Lord. The Lord would be their inheritance. Now, if some of you, on your verse sheet, I've, look, I've uh, written at the bottom, the sons of Jacob. And that's because some of you may be looking at a map of Israel and seeing how they're going to divide up this land when they go in in the book of Joshua. And you don't see, um, you know, the names might be unfamiliar. Because the uh, 12 sons of um, 
Jacob listed here. Under Joseph, you see Ephraim and Manasseh. Those are Joseph's two sons. And he gets two portions. Each one of his sons gets a portion of land. So if you take out Levi and you take out Joseph and you put in Ephraim and Manasseh, you have the 12 tribes that divided up the land in Israel. So I just wanted to throw that in in case you're looking at a map. So let's go on now and get back to um, chapter 10. And we come to verse 12, and this is a very, very important verse because now he's kind of bringing them back to the present. He's saying, God continued his covenant with you. And now what is required of you, O Israel, in the keeping of this covenant? And the answer is that God wants their total commitment. They need to be wholeheartedly devoted and committed to God. And we see that in this verse 12. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. Five things that he mentions there. Fear him, walk with him, love him, serve him, and obey him. And all of those are interrelated. Do you see how they work together? And that is because worship and life are inseparable. We can't say we fear God and we love God and then not obey God or not walk with God. Those things all go together. You cannot just put God in a compartment. It's like we have our life. It's a big pie. And one slice is our family. And one slice is our friends. And one slice is our work. And one slice are things we do. And then if we make that slice of pie that's for God, if we make it bigger than all the rest, then we think we're in good shape. Not so. God wants to be part of the whole pie. God wants to be in relationship with us. He wants to fellowship with us. He wants to be involved in all of our life. And he wants us to be totally committed to him. He wants us to be um, loving him. He wants our heart. And what motivates the Israelites to do this? It's the same thing that motivates us today. Love. God loved them, and he loved us. And verse 14 tells us, shows us just how much. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords. The great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes, he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. God, this mighty God, this is your God. And who are you that God would love you? Who am I that God would love me? And yet he does, this mighty God of the universe. Psalm 8, verse 3 tells us this. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And yet he loves us. Verse 20 tells us that he um, is a personal God. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is your praise. He is your God. He is a personal God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. He is a powerful God. 
Your forefathers who went down into Egypt were seventy in all. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. And once again, we see that God is a promise-keeping God. As we know God, we are humbled. On your outline, I have that. As we know God, we are humbled. We see ourselves for who we are, insignificant, small, sinful people. And yet he calls us his beloved. And he gives us significance with his great love. And we see his great power. And we are humbled. And in humility, we fear him. And we walk with him. And we love him. And we serve him. And we obey him. In chapter 11, verse 1, Moses sums up the whole chapter with this verse. Love the Lord your God and keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws, and his commands always. And Moses really sums up uh, in the whole chapter of 11. He's summing up all that we have studied up to this point. And from this chapter, I really saw how humility helps me choose obedience. Humility helps us choose obedience. In these first 25 verses, Moses uh, tells, he kind of alternates between giving them commands to obey and love God and then reasons why they should. And an example of that is in verse 8. Observe, therefore, all the commands I am giving you today so that you may have the strength to go in and take over the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess and so that you may live long in the land that the Lord swore to your forefathers to give to them and their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. Obedience gives us strength. And obedience leads to blessing. We've talked about that many times. And he goes on to tell in these next few verses how in Egypt they had to irrigate. When they planted something, they had to bring and hand water the plant. But in Israel, in the promised land that would become known as Israel, God was going to send rain. And he would send rain in the autumn and he'd send rain in the spring so that their crops would be abundant. They would have new wine and they would have oil and plenty of grass for their cattle. And then he reminds them in 16, but be careful, do not turn away from God, do not follow other gods, because then God will shut the heavens and there will be no rain. How do they remember God? Verse 18 tells them, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds, tie them as symbols on your hands and buy them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land that the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. These are the same verses you might recognize them that we saw in chapter 6. They're important verses. He's saying, remember God's word. Do whatever it takes, ladies. Put it on your bathroom mirror. Put it on the dashboard of your car. Stick it on your refrigerator with those magnets. And tell your children and your grandchildren and other children the word of God. Pass it on so that they will know it as well. And the very best way to remember God's word is to memorize it, to put it in your heart and your mind. Children memorize scripture very easily. So memorize scripture with some children. The verses that I remember best are the ones that I memorized as a child. 
but even as adults, we can memorize God's word if we work on it. So let's try to put God's word in our heart and in our mind. Remembering God's word helps the things of God not to slip from our hearts. God told Joshua, excuse me, in Joshua 1.8, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Joshua was going to be the great leader that follows after Moses. And God's telling him, you need to read it day and night. We are forgetful people. We need to be looking at the word of God often so that we can remember God. David knew the importance of memorizing scripture because he says in Psalm 119.11 on your verse sheet, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. In verse 22, we see um, a couple of phrases that we've seen several times. It says, walk in all his ways and hold fast to him. Humility helps us to do that. Humility helps us to walk in his ways and to hold fast to him. Because realizing who I am causes me to hold fast to God. I am small and insignificant and prone to wander away from the God I love. We are prone to wander away from the God who loves us. I have a story that took place many years ago. Uh, I was in Knoxville, Tennessee at the World's Fair, and I was there with my uh, mother and my husband and my two little children. Rachel was just four, and Ben was two. And they had these different kind of buildings, kind of rooms set out, and in it would be these different exhibits. And so we were in one of these rooms that was kind of big. It was filled with many people. It was very loud. And I looked down, and Ben was not by me. My heart begins to pound as I tell this story. And I looked over at my husband and kind of shouted, you know, where's Ben? And he, I could tell by the fear on his face, he didn't have Ben. And I looked across the exhibit to my mom who had Rachel and I said, where's Ben? And, and, and she didn't have him either. But my mom, I love my mom. My mom is quick. And so even, you know, she doesn't panic. So she immediately runs to the door and with Rachel and bars the door. Now, I would have laughed if I hadn't been so frightened. But um, she's standing there because she's not letting anybody walk out of there with her precious grandson, Ben. And I begin to walk through the room quickly looking for Ben. And suddenly I see him. A lady is holding him up and he is screaming bloody murder. And I can't even hear it because there's so many people in this room and it's so loud that I can't hear him, but I see his face. And I begin to probably push people out of my way as I get to Ben. I hug him and I hold him and I tell the lady, thank you, thank you for finding my son. And you know, ladies, that the rest of the day I did not let go of Ben's hand. I held fast to his hand. You know, we're like a little child who if we're not holding fast to the hand of God, we wander away. Realizing who we are helps us to hold fast to the hand of God. Remembering who God is helps me to walk in his ways. Reading his word, memorizing it, helps me to remember who God is. Telling others about God helps me to remember who God is. And remembering who God is helps me to walk in his ways. 
In verse 26, Moses kind of closes out this chapter by giving a blessing and a curse. Verse 27, he says, The blessing, if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today. And verse 28, the curse, if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn away from the way that I command you today by following other gods which you have not known. Now, this is kind of a preview of what we're going to see in chapters to come. Chapters 27 and 28 talk a great deal about the blessings and the curses. And it talks in more detail what Moses tells us here about Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. He tells them that when they go into the land, he wants them to stand half the tribes on one and the other half on the other. And to they will shout the curses and the blessings. And this actually does take place. You can read about it in Joshua chapter 8. Moses is saying, it's your choice. You choose obedience or discipline. Choose to obey and receive his blessing or choose to disobey God and forfeit the blessing, which will result in discipline or maybe even destruction. Humility helps us choose obedience. It helps us choose obedience so that we can experience the blessing, knowing who I am in light of who God is. Holy, awesome, powerful, loving, merciful, good. I want to close in prayer, and then I want you to keep your eyes closed just for a moment while the music team sings those beautiful words about the Lord, because I want us to go out of here thinking about who God is. Heavenly Father, you are an amazing God. You are awesome. You are powerful. You are merciful. You are good. And Father, you are loving. And your love overwhelms me. Lord, we want to know you more. We want to be humble women that obey you and serve you and walk with you and fear you and love you, Lord. So I ask that you would draw us close to yourself that we might know you more and love you better. And I ask this in the name of Jesus.